The belief that God became man and dwells among us in Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Orthodox Christian life and worship. Orthodox worship, therefore, involves the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul. In our services of worship, Christians pray and sing in liturgies that are not of this world. Ancient Faith Radio now presents Singing the Triumphal Hymn with Father John Finley, exploring the Orthodox faith through music and liturgy. Father John is a composer and musician and is with the Missions and Evangelism Department of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Here's Father John. In our continuing series on the Divine Liturgy, we come now to the subject of liturgical formulas and texts. And in our uh, next two podcasts, we're going to be working on this subject, trying to gain a grasp of certain liturgical formulas that express fundamental realities in worship, to gain an understanding of why we use prescribed prayers and various forms of church music in worship, and to gain an understanding of the liturgical roles of the clergy in the life of the church. In order to understand the fundamental realities expressed by liturgical formulas in Christian worship, one must first understand the fundamental ministries of the various orders of the clergy in the church, St. Ignatius of Antioch, in his letter to the Magnesians, reveals an early view of the orders of the clergy. He says, Be eager to do everything in God's harmony, with the bishop presiding in the place of God, the presbytery in the place of the council of the apostles, and the deacons, most sweet to me, entrusted with the service of Jesus Christ, who before the ages was with the Father and was made manifest at the end. Through the course of time, various roles of the clergy developed as the church expanded. Dom Gregory Dix describes certain changes of the role of the presbyter or priest in the 4th century. He says, When the peace of the church and the immense growth of numbers made it impossible for bishops in most places still uh, to act as the only ministers of all the sacraments to their churches, we find the real change taking place in the function of the presbyter. He becomes the permanent liturgical minister of a separate congregation to whom he normally supplies most of those liturgies of sacraments and teaching for which the priest Nicene Church had habitually looked to the bishop. Of course, uh, you may remember uh, if you've uh, done any study of uh, church history, the, the fourth century was a watershed uh, century for the church. It was almost destroyed by heresy. Uh, however, uh, Constantine, the emperor who himself uh, became a Christian, uh, and declared uh, tolerance to Christians and the end of persecutions and uh, called the Council of Nicaea 
uh, established an atmosphere in which the church was able to come out from her uh, underground life of her first three centuries and to uh, openly uh, practice and uh, their their services and express their faith and to expand and grow throughout the Roman Empire, and so we sometimes hear these phrases the you know the pre Nicene Church and the post Nicene Church, meaning by that the pre three twenty five Council of Nicaea and the post three twenty five uh, Council of Nicaea uh, Church. Dix goes on to describe the role of the deacon. He says the accepted derivation of this order from the seven who organized poor relief in the apostolic church at uh, Jerusalem is uncertain, but they are certainly of apostolic origin. And he, he, you know, when he, he's speaking of the seven there who were uh, uh, ordained for relief of the poor, we can read about that in uh, the book of Acts, and uh, of course uh, Saint Stephen being the most famous uh, of them. But they are all uh, listed by name in the book of Acts. He continues, they come into sight rather as the bishop's personal assistants in his liturgical and pastoral functions but also as an order with functions of its own. It is as such that uh, they minister the chalice while he distributes the bread, and they read the gospel upon which he is to comment in his sermon. And they are, as Ignatius describes them, not merely ministers of food and drink, but servants of the ecclesia, that is, the servants of the church. As such, they have certain definite liturgies and take quite a prominent part in the service, especially by announcing to the assembly what is to be done at each fresh stage of its progress. But by immemorial tradition, they never directly address God on behalf of the church, and that is the liturgy of the bishop. So the deacon, even in bidding the prayers of the church, speaks to the church, not to God. It's interesting that, um, you know, reviewing this myself and, uh, and thinking about it, that, you know, I look at this, you know, as the description of the early church, the description of the church in the fourth century, and, you know, growing up as a young man, if I had read this, I would have made no, no correlation at all to what I may have experienced in my own church. Um, there was no bishop. Uh, there was only the pastor, and he certainly wouldn't be called the uh, presbyter or the priest. And the deacons were more or less the governing board. Uh, now, it, it is interesting that uh, even in the Baptist church that I grew up in, when it came time for uh, observing the Lord's Supper, uh, as as we called it, uh, the deacons would hand out the bread and uh, the grape juice. <laughs> In Oklahoma, we didn't use wine; we used grape juice. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, you can see uh, a remnant of that. Although uh, in most churches, uh, they were uh, uh, simply, you know. Um, I don't necessarily want to say honorary deacons, but they were more or less a governing board. 
but did have this uh, function when we observed the Lord's Supper. And then it says here, you know, the deacon, even in bidding the prayers of the church, speaks to the church, not to God. Not that a deacon can't uh, address God, but in the liturgical services, typically what he's saying is he's calling upon the people to pray. Um, we call this a litany. And uh, I'd like to read what uh, Father Alexander says about litanies. He says, uh, and this is uh, from his book, uh, Liturgy and Life. A litany is a fixed sequence of petitions or calls for prayer addressed by the deacon to the congregation. And it is one of the essential forms of liturgical prayer common to practically all services. There's four uh, common types of litanies used uh, in our church. The Great Litany, which usually opens the liturgical service, its petitions cover all the needs of the church, the world, the praying community, the individual, and constitute, therefore, the prayer of the church. It begins with the words, In peace, let us pray to the Lord. It's interesting that uh, in another place, he speaks of the Great Litany as establishing the hierarchy of values in the church. And when we look at the litany, what is the first thing that the deacon calls upon the people to ask God, ask God for peace? And not just an external kind of uh, outward kind of peace, but he qualifies it in the next petition for the peace from above and for the salvation of our souls. What is the peace of, from above? The peace from above is the peace of God, the peace not of this world, the peace um, that we have in our soul that uh, emanates and comes out of uh, our life, perhaps in uh, external circumstances where there is no peace at all. And so it's worthwhile to study the great litany just in terms of what are our priorities? What are our values as the body of Christ, as the kingdom of God, not of this world? So given this uh, basic outline of the various uh, roles of the clergy, coupled with uh, an understanding of symbol as epiphany, then we can begin to see the reality of the liturgical formulas mentioned uh, again by uh, Father Alexander in Liturgy in Life when he, he talks about the phrase, Peace be to all. Peace be to all is more than a simple priestly imitation of the words of Christ found in uh, John chapter 20. The priest is more than a mere representative of Christ, since the peace which the priest grants and the peace which Christ grants are not two different kinds of peace. The priest is an epiphany of Christ. The priest is Christ in our midst. And so when he turns and blesses us saying, peace be to you. We receive the same peace, the same reconciliation between God and man that was received by those in the 
upper room following Christ's resurrection. John twenty nineteen and 20 says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And when we hear and receive from the priest these words of Christ, our hearts should rejoice because we see with the eyes of our heart that Christ is in our midst and hear with our spiritual ears the blessing from Christ himself. I'm just thinking from my own perspective, from the perspective of the priest in the midst of the congregation saying these words. And the priest holds his hand up and gives the blessing with the sign of the cross. And his hand has this cuff on it, both of these cuffs. And when the priest puts that cuff on, he says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is glorified in strength. And so we don't necessarily say, What is the right hand of the Lord? We say, Who is the right hand of the Lord? We believe that the right hand of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so the priest's hand performs the ministry of Christ himself. Do we not believe, do not most Christians believe that we are a royal priesthood, that we are united to Christ, and that our role, our responsibility as members of that royal priesthood is to share in his high priestly service to God and to man and to do what Jesus would do. What does Jesus do? He blesses people. Peace be to all. And so the priest in the congregation has this responsibility to bestow this peace of Christ upon the congregation. And it's real. It's not just a symbol. It's not something that just represents, but it manifests, reveals participates in, actualizes, imparts the peace of God to the people of God. The role of the deacon is that of service. When we see the uh, things he says as a revelation of the true nature of Christ's purpose to glorify the Father in heaven, the deacon is continually calling people to action, to participate in the work of the people, the divine liturgy. Bow your heads unto the Lord. Let us pray to the Lord. Wisdom, let us attend. These words are not the mere bidding of the deacon to pray, to listen, to bow, but the bidding of Christ himself who said, I am among you as the one who serves, Luke 22, verse 27. 
In his high priestly prayer, Christ says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. John 17. And so when we hear the deacon calling us to pray, to bow, to listen, we should respond from our hearts, understanding that it is Christ in our midst calling us to worship and to serve the living God. And that was Father John Finley with Singing the Triumphal Hymn, Exploring the Orthodox Faith Through Music and Liturgy. If you would like to write Father John, his email is singing at ancientfaith.com. That's singing at ancientfaith.com. This is a listener-supported presentation of Ancient Faith Radio.